is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're going to spend the day today talking about what we saw last night. Democrats gathering in Houston to continue their discussion about the presidential contest next year. We are down to 10 candidates from at one time more than 20. And so we saw a really different dynamic unfold on stage last night. It was the first time, for instance, that we saw Joe Biden debating Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, two progressive challengers to his sort of moderate and uh, old school position. It was also the first time that we saw exchanges between a number of other candidates. They talked about all kinds of issues, health care, race, guns, foreign policy, and we want to talk about all of it today as well. Joining me to break down what we saw on stage last night is Nancy Kaffer, who is a columnist for the Detroit Free Press. Nancy, welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's great to be here. Also with us is Greg Bowens. He is a political and communications consultant. Greg, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. Thank you. And Wayne Bradley, who is managing partner of American Urban Strategies, former state director of African-American engagement for the Michigan Republican Party. Wayne, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Also, we want to hear from you this hour. What did you take away from last night's debate? Did you make a decision that you hadn't felt comfortable making before about who you might vote for next year in the presidential Democratic primary? Uh, Were you uh, satisfied by uh, some of the things that you heard from these candidates? Did you feel like they were substantive enough in the way that they dealt with these issues. Uh, also, tell us what you're looking forward to coming up as we continue campaign 2020. Do you want to see the field winnow down a little more? Ten people on stage, I got to say, is still too many for me to really be able to pay attention for too long. Uh, as always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, guys, I want to start with healthcare, which is where they started the debate last night. And I thought we saw some really interesting exchanges between Joe Biden, who, of course, was uh, vice president uh, for Barack Obama and can claim, I guess, significant credit for the Affordable Care Act. And he seems to be sort of staking out that position and defending that uh, against challenges from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who say, look, That was a great step forward. It did not go far enough. They think Medicare for all uh, or some version of that is the way that we ought to fix health care. It it really was the first time that we saw uh, an actual back and forth uh, between those two polls uh, in the party. I thought Biden actually got the better of both Sanders and Warren on the Medicare for all uh, issue. But I'm eager to hear what you guys thought about that exchange. Uh, Nancy, let's start with you. I remain unconvinced that Medicare for All is a winning campaign tactic. I think Democrats need to answer who who support it. It's it's definitely this bright line here in the the campaign from the, the more mainstream to the more more uh, left wing. But, you know, you can believe that healthcare is a universal right and that we should all have access to healthcare and still have some really serious questions about how Medicare for all would work. Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren keeps saying, you know, I don't know anybody who really loves their insurance. And that's true. I don't think anyone is attached to their private insurance. But I think that we're all kind of used to when our insurance change 
changes, it gets worse. I mean, I don't think anyone's like, oh, the last time they announced a huge change, I loved my benefits. <laughs> so they they need to do a better job of articulating like how this system is going to work, because I don't think anyone is so wedded to the current system as that they're just afraid of leaping into something that's going to be worse. And I'm, I don't know that I'm hearing that from the Medicare for all contingent. And it's, it's really, especially when, you know, they did a great job that Biden and uh, others last night in saying, you know, we're talking about a very short amount of time to make this massive change. And the people you need to support this are not the uninsured or underinsured. It's people who have private insurance. So like, you, you need to – I'm not hearing that case being made sufficiently that why someone who has employer-based private insurance is going to be better off. I mean you can say you'll have lower costs. Okay, but if you have private insurance, that is a concern for you. Maybe it's not your top concern. Quality of care, access to care, those may be bigger concerns for you and you yeah. may want to hear not – that, not that cost isn't a concern. But that you may want it, you may need that reassurance, and I'm not, I'm not hearing it so far. I, I didn't hear that, and and I also was was frustrated with uh, Sanders and Warren answering the question about taxes. Mm. Right, uh, the moderators keep, kept trying to get them to distinguish between uh, the cost of healthcare that you pay out of pocket for premiums or services or whatever, and the fact that they were you know, stuck on the idea that, okay, those would go down under Medicare for all. But the question is, would, would we all pay way more in taxes to make that possible? Well, and neither of them would answer that question. Well, of, course, of, course of course we would. But, <laughs> but none of them are going to answer that question because then it can go on an attack ad. Elizabeth Warren wants to raise your taxes. She says she's raising your taxes. And by not pairing that with the the defense that overall your cost will go down, right. um, then it, it becomes a very vulnerable point. Because of course, they're not going to answer that question directly, though it is frustrating when you want. I mean, I think by not answering it directly, they are answering it. They're kind but, of admitting it. Uh, yeah. And Biden uh, kind of missed an opportunity, I thought, to really jump them over that and say, listen, uh, if if you want to raise taxes, come out and say that you want to raise taxes. Yeah, I, I, I understand what, what both of you are saying in relationship to the, the tax thing. Um, I... I, I my, my impression is is that actually Biden lost that particular part of the debate because he has staked his claim on the current health care system mm-hmm. and having to defend it because Obamacare has been around for a while now. And so if you're dissatisfied and feel like that the health care industry is ripping you off or not taking care of you the way that you want to, well, you have the architect of the current system standing right there saying, we'll just tweak it and make it a little better. And so... I really don't think that that uh, he fared well when it came to that because he wasn't able to connect the dots in the way that Elizabeth Warren was when she talked about having access to your doctors and and that kind of thing. So the tax part is uh, is something that, you know, yeah, it's it's low hanging fruit in relationship to trying to stake out a ground saying she's going to raise your taxes. Uh, uh, but I, I, I I'm seeing healthcare kind of wane, to be honest with you, in relationship to the concerns that people have about the next president and and where we go from here. Because we've we've just gotten so used to a really screwed up healthcare system against the backdrop of a president that is racist and is chaotic and all that stuff. You know, that's that's the thing that keeps you up at night thinking about what's the crazy man gonna do next. And so uh, uh, who really fared bad in that to me was Bernie Sanders. 
man, he looked like he was ready to pop the whole mm. time he was there. I was like, why is this guy so red? Off of red <laughs> just like, you know, jacked up off of yeah, red. he was really he's, he seemed really upset about it. And he has been pushing this plan the longest. And I guess that the thing about it is, is that whenever we look at these candidates, particularly I can't remember who said it. Was it Yang or was it somebody else who said Having this long debate about health care is not going to matter when you face Donald Trump because he's just going to say these guys are socialists and, you know, they're going to do a crummy plan. And so you're not going to be able to debate the finer points of health care and spending a lot of time on it right here. Hmm. I really don't think helps move the ball forward well, for any well, of them. Well, but you can make that point about anything. You, debating Donald Trump is going to be like in a sci-fi movie where they're like, we're going to use our phasers. Well, we're going to put up our anti-phaser shield. Well, I'm going to use my anti-anti-phaser laser. Well, I'm going to use my, I mean, it's it's like he, it's, you don't really, I think, need to worry about a reality-based policy. Well, I mean, I think if we're going <laughs> to use those allegories, it's more like how do you approach, you know, getting over the dark side because Trump is going to appeal <laughs> to the darkest recesses of our personalities here and he's going to be dismissive of yeah. any kind of plan yeah. and any any kind of thing. So who can really snap back at Trump? And it wasn't that healthcare debate didn't show anybody that was able so, to do that. So Wayne, as someone who's who's worked across the aisle from uh, these candidates uh, for for a long time, what did you make of this debate about Medicare for all versus Obamacare or Affordable Care Act? I, one of the one of the moments that stood out to me as well was uh, this this idea of what goes on in other countries, what other people expect in terms of their health care and what it's like here. Uh, I thought Joe Biden did a good job of saying, hey, look, America should stand alone, should stand apart from other uh, countries. But later in the debate, I thought Bernie Sanders also made one of the most convincing and impassioned pleas for democratic socialism that I've ever seen anybody make uh, uh, on a national stage. I mean, he explained what, what it was and why he's for it. And there was nothing he said but it felt like people could say, "Well, I don't like that." Mm-hmm. If you're a Democrat, obviously. well, or if you're a, if you're a human being, I mean, what, <laughs> what, what, what was the what was the what human was the being. part of that 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 what was the part of that that and, that you could you could have? Well, I mean, to? I think what you what you saw last night was a battle of bad ideas. I mean, let's just be honest. Like the Medicare for all is is for Democrats. Even when I hear some Democrats say, "Well, how are we going to pay for that?" That it leaves so many things wide open. So I'm just enjoying each other, tearing each other's ideas up. Um, I think, again, Donald Trump is 3-0 and in debates this time around. So, I mean, they should just keep this up. I'm, I'm encouraging more debates. But did you, I mean, you, so you see no difference between uh, defending the Affordable Care Act and talking about Medicare for All? Not really, because uh, at the end of the day, it's just one bad plan. You have a worse plan. That's what it come, comes down to. So then, what's the what's the Republican alternative? Would you would you get rid of the Affordable Care Act? Something that every, everybody says would. I mean, I think we would make it better. We would, we, we would off. You would have it would be more competition. You know, that's the Republican way. We always want more competition. We want that's worked really great in education. It's worked good for auto insurance, though. You see what I mean? No, I mean, no, it really? hasn't. No, I, no, I, I, well, I'm, Michigan has some. I'm saying you can you can get your insurance from anywhere, and I think that that's the the approach that they one of the things they need to do. Also, talking about tort reform because that makes our all of our insurance so expensive. So taking those kind of positions as opposed to saying, I just don't think saying Medicare for all is a winning issue. It's just mm-hmm. too many people in America that one have their own insurance, and even for poor people or people, let's say southern states and folks, they don't want to hear about 
free stuff. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Uh, Daniel, you're up first today. What's on your mind? Oh, well, thank you for having me on the air again. You mm-hmm. know, I, uh, uh, my comment today is I think Elizabeth Warren has won me over in the last couple of weeks because she keeps hammering the fact that the co- we're not in control of our government anymore, that the corporations and the lobbying groups are controlling our government. And the fact that she's hammering that, and we already have the Congress and may win the Senate, if that happens, she's going to profoundly change our government. And also, I'd like to say, Buddha judge, every time he opens his mouth, I agree with everything he says, his temperament is so perfect his he's he's witty he's smart he's been in the military if he was the vice president on the ticket Mm. with elizabeth warren i think it would be a slam dunk Mm. daniel i appreciate uh, the call and the perspectives i mean i think uh, from a democratic perspective there's a lot of uh, a wisdom behind what you're saying, and I think there's a lot of Democrats who would love to see a ticket like that. I think the question a lot always of Republicans would too is well, there, there you go, Wayne. Right? Uh, is that is that an easy mark for the Republicans and Donald Trump in 2020? Uh, uh, well, okay. I also think there may be a slight problem with vote white in 2020. Uh, <laughs> right, right. If you if mm. you don't have a, a diverse ticket. Uh, on the Democratic side, what are you really what are you really saying? Isn't um, Buttigieg a, a minority though? I mean, that's the way the Democrat Party works, right? What are you talking about? Great <laughs> 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 All right, well, I, I want to play a quick uh, clip of Beto. Oh, that was a homophobic uh, remark. That's what it was. Oh, I get it. I get oh, it. it. was. Oh, I make here a, we go. I want to make a. I want to play a quick clip of Beto O'Rourke talking about another subject that came up a lot last night, which is gun control. Uh, he he took a very uh, a very strong stance about uh, what he would do differently. In Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, mm-hmm. and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against Okay, so the criticism of uh, against Democrats and liberals always from mm-hmm. uh, gun owners is that all discussion of gun control legislation is really just a cover for the idea that we will confiscate guns from uh, from legal gun owners in this country. I thought it was really interesting that Beto O'Rourke was willing to just go there last night and not worry about. That criticism, he's saying, look, uh, there are lots of weapons, for instance, that you can't have. I can't have a missile launcher in my basement. I can't uh, have us, you know, I can't uh, I can't buy hand grenades and 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 say that they're for for self-defense. These automatic weapons are the same in his view. Uh, Wayne, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Is this dangerous territory for Democrats to wander into? Well, I don't think you hear most of the Democrats doing it's Beto because he's down in the polls. So this is his Hail Mary. But, yes, I think that the more people are pushing um, hardcore gun control, when you're saying you're going to take people's guns, I saw even some Democrats last night that had a real issue with that because in cities like Detroit you have Democrats that are proud gun owners. And so I think that 
they do have to tread lightly on that, and uh, it only gives more fodder for conservative radio this morning, and everyone's getting all riled up. And uh, Beta, like I said, he's kind of low in the polls, so he's looking for something to springboard him, and maybe that was his idea of springboarding. Hmm. But, but this idea yeah. of drawing distinctions to say, look, the Second Amendment protects uh, uh, guns, but not all guns are created equal, and, and something like an AR-15, which is a military-style weapon, uh, was never intended to be protected by the Second oh. Amendment. It, w- w- what's wrong with that argument? Well, Greg? clearly he was swinging for the fences here. And uh, but the, the 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 cool thing about it is that he's from Texas, you know. And you, when you think of Texans, you think of gun ownership, you know, pretty quickly. And so if somebody who has that kind of portfolio in their background is saying we cannot have weapons of war, it seems sort of reasonable. Ninety percent of the American public feel like that there should be more controls on these weapons of mass destruction. And the way that he put it in sort of plainly and with the kind of passion that he had for it is something that we really don't see much of. You know, ever since Sandy Hook, you know, we would have thought that 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 would have been the turning point uh, for this. But you had that and you had Vegas and, and now you have this Texas thing and the idea of having a serious discussion about getting rid of I keep calling them these weapons of mass destruction, you know, is is the time has come. And so. I don't really think that he I, I think what came through more was his passion about the issue more so than we're, you know, taking the guns away. Because I think most people mm-hmm. feel like that. Yeah, you shouldn't have an AR-15. Yeah. Nancy? I, I'm going to be a little more charitable and say that this is something he genuinely feels, not a gambit to try to elevate himself in the polls. I mean, it may also be because he feels like he has little to lose and can talk about this, but I don't think it's a put on stance. Um I personally agree with him. I don't think people need these weapons of mass destruction, as I think, Greg, that's a great, that's a fair description of them. I think that the the founders never envisioned these types of weapons. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it's very tricky political territory for him to wade into, though, because it is a very, it's a wedge issue. You know, it's... Um, um, another political analyst said to me, the biggest divider in this country and state is how you feel about guns. Mm-hmm. If you can go to your poli- if you live in a neighborhood and you go to your community block party and you can talk about your gun collection, you live in a Republican area. <laughs> if you go to your community block party and start talking about your guns and everyone looks weird at you and doesn't invite you next year, um, then you probably live in a Democratic area. Yeah. I mean, that is and that is pretty true. Yeah. Right. Like this is this is a big this is a big wedge. And so, I mean, it's it's on the one hand, as my personal beliefs, I'm excited to hear someone putting these very frank ideas out there. But politically, I, I don't know how that works and if it is overall a negative or or a positive. I mean, the, the statistics overwhelmingly show Americans agree with him, but then Americans don't always do that at the polls. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, is that, you know, whether it's health care or guns, what we're playing to is the fear that people have. Uh, about this kind of thing. And and whoever is best able to address the bottom line fears that we feel, I think, will be able to be the well, ones to make headway. But, but I also don't know if we are going to change your life in ways we can't fully articulate is a is a winning campaign yeah. proposition for anyone. Yeah. I mean, what, the, tough... reason, the reason Donald Trump won is because he said, we're going to make it 1950 again, and we're right. going to restore a social order that's been predominant in Western culture for thousands of years. That was a comfortable thing for people to latch onto, to say we're going to change things in ways 
um, that, that we can't you have really, never imagined. Yeah, right? the, I, right. I, I, I think that is it's risky. Even when you agree with a lot of the things they're saying, it's I mean, which I do. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's difficult to say how are we how what is this path forward and yeah. what is it going to mean for me and my child? Okay, we mm. need to take a quick break and raise some money here on WDET. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation uh, about last night's Democratic presidential debate. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Sheila in Dearborn, Rod in Sarnia will get you into the conversation as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests this hour are Nancy Kaffer, a columnist for the Detroit Free Press, Greg Bowens, a political and communications consultant, and Wayne Bradley, managing partner of American Urban Strategies. We are talking about last night's Democratic presidential debate in Houston. Uh, Ten candidates remain on the stage. We saw them talk about all kinds of issues from health care to race, to guns. Uh, we want to hear from you what you thought of last night's debate, what you took away from what the candidates said, and the interaction between them. In some cases, the first time we were seeing interaction between certain candidates. Uh, did you make up your mind last night uh, based on what you heard and saw? Did you sort of maybe drift away from a candidate that you had been enthusiastic before, but you weren't necessarily impressed by their performance. Um, uh, the number, as always, here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Before we move on to the next subject, uh, Wayne, uh, I want to hear what you have to say about the gun issue that Beto O'Rourke uh, brought up uh, at last night's debate, uh, saying, "Look, we want to, uh, we want to maybe uh, take your guns." Yeah, right. I mean, he's the first Democrat to be honest about their intentions, but I think that that again only gives us fodder on my side. I saw at least a good three opposition uh, campaigns. I saw the Juan Castro saying, "You forgot already." I saw one saying that, you know, talking to Joe Biden. I saw. Beto's claiming he's going to take all of our guns. And then Bernie Sanders, he just gives you just loads of content for that kind of thing. But uh, I think that it's a slippery slope because, again, I know a lot of Democrats that live in urban cities that believe in protecting themselves. And they don't – I mean, again, with the AR-15, the AK-47, that's, been, that's become the big bad black gun, the big gun. And so people are going after that. But essentially um, – a lot of gun owners, the, the people that you're, you know, upsetting are legal gun owners. They might collect guns. They might, you know, this is what they enjoy doing. And I think that you're but making a talking mistake. about your grandpa's gun collection. <laughs> not, being, not grandpa. Being, I mean, but that's the, the whole the, point. The, you the, have 40 well, year old. We're talking man. about people who are buying weapons that fire 60 bullets a minute. But you instance. just said we're it's the person. About, it's not the gun. Well, it, it, it's the person. It's the not person, the gun. The, the gun person, can't shoot without a bad person. I mean, if the person doesn't have the gun, 
they can't. So they'll get to something those. else. So, I mean, so, in, in Europe right now, we're having big problems with knife stabbings, and now they're talking about that as a how big many problem. people can you stab with a knife before you get stabbed? In thirty seconds, right? Right. <laughs> we've had also, a lot. We've had a lot the, of people the, dying. We're we're kind of blowing off the gun, the the knife tragedies in Europe right now. I'm kind of surprised about that. Well, that, because they no, pale in comparison <laughs> to uh, as as the comedian guns. Eddie Izzard says. They say guns don't kill people. People kill people. But he says, I rather think the gun helps. <laughs> That's right. You can't a stand there role. and go, pow, pow, pow. <laughs> right, right. All right. I want to I switch subjects here uh, because I, I, I saw that people go nuts over this next clip that I want to play. This is Joe Biden having been asked about race and the legacy of slavery and what he would do. Mm. Uh, let's listen to what he said. <laughs> Well, they have to deal with the, the, look, there is institutional segregation in this country. And from the time I got involved, I started dealing with that. Redlining, banks, making sure that we are in a position where, look, talk about education. I propose that what we take is those very poor schools, the Title I schools, triple the amount of money we spend from 15 to 45 billion a year, give every single teacher a raise of the equal raise of getting out the $60,000 level. Number two, make sure that we bring in to help the the, the teachers deal with the problems that come from home. The problems that come from home, we need, we have one school psychologist for every 1,500 kids in America today. It's crazy. The teachers are, and I'm married to a teacher, my deceased wife is a teacher. They have every problem coming to them. We have make sure that every single child does, in fact, have three, four, and five-year-olds go to school. School, not daycare, school. We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't, want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, a, a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. You know, that's that's the Bill Cosby moment there, you know, where you stand up and you blame the black people for racism for as it occurs, right? You know, you're not educating your kids enough. You're not giving the families the support that they need. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, which always leads me to believe, and this is Greg, that Joe is like out of touch when it comes to race. It's like, dude, you were kicking it with a black president. The best thing that you can say is to help families. Barack on, taught man. you nothing right. more you than that. You sat at the feet of the guru. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I'm in. I think I'm in safe territory to say that was not the right answer to that question. That that that, that he should have been better prepared for it, and mm-hmm. that he should have stuck I, to I, the I did, I didn't, I, think I, I didn't understand the part about the record player. <laughs> I, I, I think he, at the end of the what all... A, what's a record player? At the end of, at the end of <laughs> all of that, though, what he, did, what he did was say, look, I'm with Obama, good or bad or the indifferent, and I was with him for eight years. He did say that. And that's all black people really want. I saw a lot of black folks on my page like, well, that's all I want to hear is he's staying loyal to Obama, and that's what he did it for. I mean, at the end of the day, he is giving black people very little to go on other than the fact that he was President Obama's vice president. And President Obama didn't pick him because of all his great qualifications. He picked him so white voters would feel comfortable electing him in the first place. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm if not you, sure about that. But I mean, uh, yeah. Joe Biden was a longtime senator, uh, senator and, and one of the most respected people in Washington, at least. I mean, he didn't bring a lot of electoral votes because he's from Delaware. But right. uh, He's no Sarah Palin. He's no Sarah Palin, right? <laughs> 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 was getting speaking divorced, of, by the way. Vice presidential candidates. Yeah, I mean, but but this this danger, I think that Joe Biden seems to be veering into. One, 
not appearing to be terribly coherent about a lot of things right. and, and seeming to show his age uh, in a way that, that might frighten some voters, but also being unprepared to talk about things that are Democratic staples. The idea that you wouldn't have in, in this era – a, a substantive answer to the question of how we deal with the legacy of slavery. I, it just kind of uh, unfortunately, his answer is Barack Obama. That's the only answer he you has. You feel for like that's, that's that's his cover. All he's all he's gonna have that's to, his, that's his to complexion protection, right? Well, there. you know, I, I'm not gonna take any comments on race from the last black person in the Republican <laughs> Party over here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe two. Who's that other guy that's running for <laughs> John James? John James, oh, right? The last party. two. But you, you, I think you're right, Steve. You have to be able to address it plainly and because we have the most racist president that we can think of in our lifetime. And so coming up against that backdrop, it's obvious that you need to be able to speak to race directly and and move forward. Joe Biden is depending on the goodwill of the American electorate to see past, you know, Donald Trump's racism and his bigotry and his finding flames and all that stuff. But it's not going to work that way because we have gotten used to being entertained by Trump. And if you can't entertain us, Joe, then you're not going to get there. Hmm. Sleepy Joe. Uh, Nancy, what do you make of the age considerations that have crept into the to the analysis of Joe Biden? Is that is that fair or is he courting that um, by by performing the way he is? Wow. Um, Hmm. I, I mean, you know. The, the thing you have to tease out there is that he's always performed this way, regardless, you know, even when he was <laughs> kind of a daffy guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. his 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 gaffes are are legendary. These are not necessarily new. I mean, I'm pretty forgetful. And when I'm old, everyone will say, oh, she's old and crazy. So I've always been this way. <laughs> but uh, but, you know, it, it, it is legitimate, I think, to question you know the, the mental acuity of any candidate. However, I do don't know if it is a thing that's going to ultimately matter because mm. people feel like they know Joe Biden um, and he does well with diverse groups of, of sure. voters. Um, people feel com- black voters support him yeah. more than any other yeah. candidate. He, at this he, point. he is. People are comfortable. They have observed him over decades. They kind of know where he's messed up and they've either abandoned him long ago or they've made their peace with it, who he is. So, you know, I mean, I don't know if, you know, also when we consider that the average voter is, is, an older person. I mean, I don't know if poking at his his you know perceived age related mental deficits is really going to get you anywhere. If it's just going to make people feel more defensively. I thought Castro. Protective. I thought Castro hurt himself. Oh, I thought he, yeah. I, I thought that he was not bad. a good yeah. look. In fact, bad let's look. let's take a listen to what Julian Castro said about Joe Biden and age. His health care plan would not automatically enroll you. You would have to opt in. My health care plan would. That's a big difference. I'm fulfilling, fulfilling the legacy of Barack Obama, and you're not. I'll be surprised to him. Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. He wanted every single person in this country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would they not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. To buy in, if she qualifies. Are are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy. You're forgetting that. I said anyone like your grandmother who has no money, she would. You're automatically automatically enrolled. Enrolls people regardless of whether they choose to opt in or not. 
terrible. Okay, yeah. so that kind of broke down last night, and I think the audience there was reacting to what seemed like a play by Castro to point out He's Biden's age and maybe forgetful. his mental acuity. Uh, does that work? For Castro, does that work in in the context of this contest? I, I have liked Castro for years. I thought this was a deep misfire. I thought you could make the crack once. Did you mm-hmm. forget what you just said? But the way he kept coming back to it was it was like someone trying to confront their grandpa about getting the keys to the car because he shouldn't be. It was it was mm-hmm. uncomfortable and weird. Mm-hmm. You know whether it was merited or not. It's uh, I mean whether it, and I've heard conflicting reports of whether or not Biden did contradict himself and mm-hmm. i did not go back and watch that so um but yeah it just it looks tacky i thought disrespectful it, yeah and it does look tacky but i don't think that it helps joe because it's not the particulars of the argument it's it's can you stand up under withering criticism can you clap back can you get with somebody when they do it and he just sort of looks befuddled about the well, whole thing he was he was um i believe that answer we were just talking about the one about um racial inequity came right after the hecklers had mm-hmm. to be taken out right, right. i thought he was visibly flustered Sh- by the shaken, hecklers, shaken by which i was surprised about i mean because the guy who's been in public life lengthy for experience right. he, he seemed clearly thrown by that and struggled to to even even in terms of Without weighing in on the, I mean, right. aside from the quality of the answer he gave, he did not give it well, um, which made me think he was. Yeah, I, I, I was just really think when you look at let's just be, he's like seventy eight years old. I mean, and I don't, you know, I think it's not an age thing as much as you think about your own grandparents or your parents that are when they're seventy eight. Are they at their, you know, every answer? Are they answering at a debate in front of millions of people? That, that's a lot. And he sometimes does just come off as being I mean, an old guy. To, to be fair, I want to say most of us couldn't do that. Right. Whether we're right. 78 or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what I was saying. Being in front of a crowd. Mentally taxing. Yeah. But, but I do although, although Republicans loved Reagan until the very last day of his last term. Mm. Oh, my and gosh. He was 80. He didn't, get a le- he didn't run for his first election, though, at 78. I, can, mean, I think that's we, a big difference. Can yeah. we talk about um, how this is what kept it, the, the, the constant invoking of Obama. I am defending Obama's vision. No, I am. It reminded me of Republicans <laughs> and Reagan, like how they're oh, always. Yeah, yeah. I am the modern iteration of Ronald Reagan. Yeah, right? it was yeah. it was like, could we mention Obama one more time? It's like <laughs> it's his well, vision was this. Well, it's like, you guys know on, we could ask him. Well, after <laughs> they threw him under the bus, they threw him under the bus on the last debate. So they had to because they real, realistically, whoever wins that is going to need Obama's help. Yeah. So they have to make up. All right. I want to get to some phone calls here. Let's start with Charlie. Charlie and Royal Oak. What's on your mind? Hey, thank you, Stephen. Hey, go ahead. Um, well, a couple things. Here's the way I see it. I, I think Joe Biden did pretty good last night. Mm-hmm. I mean. Stop and think who he's going to go up against, potentially. I mean, we're talking Donald Trump. Can you get any crazier? Can you get any goofier? (laughs) I I really don't think so, okay? He's, what, two years older than Donald Trump? I I don't think it's going to be a big issue. And as far as, you know, which candidate has the ability to take on and beat Donald Trump, I think Joe's got the best shot. You know, a lot of people don't want to go too far to the left. Joe's in the middle. Joe's got a resume. He's helped a lot of inner-city people of color, you know, going back many, many years. I don't think Donald Trump can say that. Yes, he can. 
Uh, well, he could really, say it, but it would say it, but it would. I mean, it would be uh, the the one thousand eight hundredth lie that he's told <laughs> since. Uh, so when he so when he won it. the award for minority contract work with Jesse Jackson, does that doesn't count for anything? Well, or, or we want to honor I think, the, I th- Ellis T, the Ellis Award with Rosa Parks. So I think it has. What to, award did I he think win it for the whole be, Central Park Five? Then? Yeah, I think it has to be balanced against the prolifically racist things that he said and done in his history, including the Central Park Five, right. which he rallied to try to get the death penalty for a bunch of black teenagers. Innocent. I think innocent who were innocent and he will never even admit that now. I also think it has to be balanced against the the incredible uh Settlement that he had to enter into with the, the Justice Department over housing discrimination. His father. Uh, that uh, his, that his father. father did. That was uh, his father. Well, yeah. he was working for the business then, right? I mean, that's uh, dad's rules, not his. Okay, well, okay. Uh, you know, the, the, the debate about whether this president is racist or not is one of the more inane and insipid lines, I think, that uh, Republicans uh, trot out. What does he have to do? Show up with a hood and a cross? <laughs> I mean, the guy has and a said can of gla- gasoline. Right, the guy has said everything that you would want to hear to know what he believes about African Americans, about what Latinos, does he say is so offensive about, about African Americans? Well, you know, but the, but the yeah. caller, I think the caller makes a good point. You know, it, it, just hearing that uh, from our WDT caller saying that I still think that Joe Biden is the best guy to. To, to go up against Trump, even though he flubs, even though he looks, you know, befuddled, even though, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that goes to your point, Nancy, that. I yeah. think as long as there's 10 candidates in that race, it benefits Biden. Mm. And, oh, for sure. And at the end of the day, Biden Let's, is uh, the most reasonable guy. I, I, I guess, but so. Before we have to end, I want to get to at least a couple more callers. Uh, Ken in Troy, what's on your mind? Well, I, I just wanted to say, as far as Biden's concerned, that I think actions speak louder than words with respect to his credibility with uh, with the African-American electorate. He he ran for vice president with the first African-American candidate for president. And, and I think that counts for hmm. something. I think that counts for a lot. It says this, that, that displays his commitment. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, Ken, I, I appreciate your calling and making that point. Thanks for that. Let's go to Michael in Auburn Hills. Michael, what's on your mind? Steven, how do you do? Good. Um, I just have one comment uh, regarding uh, Joe Biden's statement about uh, school kids, the amount of words uh, that they hear as mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, by way of an anecdote, I am black, uh, but my mother is an English teacher in New York State, so mm-hmm. I grew up hearing uh, a lot of words, and she would uh, pretty much uh, um, routinely play movies for me as a kid, like, you know, Mel Gibson's Hamlet and stuff like that, and so mm-hmm. we compare it to um, the Disney movie um, The Lion King, same movie, essentially. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure that I entirely disagree with uh, Joe Biden's statement hmm. uh, in that regard. And uh, also, for the record, I do own and utilize a record player. <laughs> um, well, there you go, Michael. I, well, I appreciate our, 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 our caller is right. A lot yeah. of the stuff he was talking about, um, that Biden was was talking about, is 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 accurate. That that we know that um, children who are growing up um, in at risk situations need more resources. We have talked about tiered funding right. in our own state. 
we know even the stuff, you know, the caller and Biden were talking about is true. There's research that shows that children who live in poverty, regardless of race, wind up hearing fewer words yes. when they start school than the children of professional middle class, upper middle class or upper class parents. Um, I just whether these things answered the question he was asked right. is a question, not whether we need to do a better job to yeah. to improve edu- equity in our education. When you get asked, is, is how do we deal with the legacy of slavery? I think when you go on a, uh, a, and list a litany of things that you feel African Americans are not doing for right. themselves. It well, negates and, and, the, and again, these are not these are not um, these are not things that I think. I mean, in these are things that when they get talked about a lot in the education reform community, there's systemic de- right. deficits, That's not right. personal deficits, uh, personal uh, uh, missteps by the parents of children or children right. themselves. Right. These are systemic problems that, we, that the system yeah. is. Well, I would love for us to keep keep going, but we are out of time. So I want to thank Nancy Kaffer, Greg Bowens, and Wayne Bradley for being here on Detroit today. Stay tuned as we raise a little more money. Remember to give us support for the next 70 years of WDET. I'll be back tomorrow and I hope you will too. Uh, or I'm sorry, on Monday, we're going to talk with Bedrock's new CEO, Matt Cullen, plus a conversation with Macomb County Public Works Commissioner Candace Miller. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. Uh, a Detroit's public radio station. (laughs) We'll see you on Monday.